Well, I want to greet you in the strong and the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the 8th Street Church. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we're going to read 10 verses together, starting with verse 29. So, hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say together, thanks be to God. We hear it at the 8th Street Church. Your preachers preach from a collection of biblical texts that are organized around themes of the Christian calendar. This is what we call preaching from the lectionary. And the lectionary directs us to an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a New Testament passage, and a gospel reading. In this season of Epiphany, we are reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now, sometimes people will ask me how I come up with stuff to talk about during, uh, for, for my sermons. Uh, sometimes it's only by prayer and sweat that you get a sermon. But in other times, there's so much in the text that I have a hard time figuring out which way to preach it. And this is one of those weeks. So I am going to pre preach three short sermons and hopefully one or two will be helpful to you and to our community. And, but who knows? I mean, this is epiphany. All three might be helpful to you. So this is sermon number one, and I call it Simon's mother-in-law. So after a long day of preaching in the synagogue and casting out an evil spirit from a man, Jesus and his friends head to the house of Simon where they find Simon's mother-in-law is down with a fever. And when Jesus is told about this, he goes to her, he touches her, and her fever is gone. And the next thing you know, she's up making dinner for them. She's serving the lot of them. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled giving commentary on this passage. One could read the text and, and see the scene in this way. They see it and they say, Simon's seen all kinds of amazing things that day. He's on a high, he's got a buzz, and now he's... He's brought his buddies home only to find out that supper is not done. So he calls on Jesus, the exorcist, and Jesus rids the fever of Simon's mother-in-law so she can get after it, whipping up a hot dinner for Simon and his friends. And then they all sit around with their elbows on the table, licking the grease off their fingers as they high-five and belch and smash beer cans on their heads. They're, this group is the original bros. But at that moment, at the moment of, of the healing of, of, of Simon's mother-in-law, 
she's immediately there up and at him. And it's, it's hard to think of any other time that someone is healed in the Scriptures and then goes about the work of manual labor. I mean, for crying out loud, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he sat down at a table and his sister Martha went to work serving the food. So at first glance, inequity in regard to gender roles and expectations seem to make their way to the surface of this text. Now, I want to be sensitive, and I don't want to discount the abuse that women have been forced to endure throughout history for religious purposes, or the fact that patriarchy has established its dominant position where men are to be served at all costs. And I recognize that as a male, I know I take a big risk in saying this, so please hear it with grace. I I don't think that that is what this text is doing. I think the description of Simon's mother-in-law here and her fever isn't there to present us with typical standards of gender roles, but it's there to show us new standards of the roles of discipleship. And Simon's mother-in-law becomes the example. She becomes the model and she becomes the hero for us because she becomes the very first disciple. And I'll tell you what I mean. Now, most of the time when we tell Jesus stories, we talk about what Jesus has done to set us free. Earlier in, the chapter, earlier in this chapter of Mark, Jesus frees a man from an evil spirit. We talk about how Jesus can set people free from selfishness. Uh, he, sets people from, uh, he sets people free from anger, envy, pride, ambition, bad memories, life of guilt, shame, suffering, on and on and on. Jesus sets us free from the spirits of evil. He frees a man in the synagogue from an evil spirit. He frees a woman in her home from a fever. It doesn't matter how big or how small or when or where. Jesus is one who can set us free from things. But he didn't just set Simon's mother-in-law from something. He didn't just set her free from something. He freed her for something. And there is a big difference. And and we don't tell people, and I haven't told you nearly enough, that you are not only freed from something, but you are freed for something. And that something is really good. When I was a little boy, my, my mom used to say to me, there is no one else that has ever been or ever will be that is like you. You have been made with gifts and a story to tell and special work to do. And I think that is true for every single one of us. And it is demonstrated through the service of Simon's mother-in-law. This week, I wrote an email to a friend trying to describe what I have learned about myself and what God has been doing in me in the last few years. And this is what I said to him. My passion, what I live for, and what I think I was designed to do is to help others see and understand their own significance. I want them to see that they are important that they have gifts, that they have abilities, and they have something significant to say to this world. I told him, this is my role as a pastor to people who are discouraged, that hate their work, who are beaten down, poor, or powerless. I said, this is my role as a teacher to the students that I instruct at Southern Nazarene University. I said, this is my role as a parent to my two children. This is my role as a supportive husband to the best person that I know. This is my role as a leader to the staff of pastors that I get to be responsible for and to. 
This is my role as a business owner who values clients and in, in a world that uses them up. This is my role as a community leader living to bring light to darkness. This is the role that I have adopted and I consider every day. This, I think this is my life's call. It's who I am. Now, the, ma- the majority of people don't really like and or can't make a real living with what they do. They, they sometimes can make money, but few have a living. And, and understanding uh, that, that they could have a living, this has an impact on self-esteem and personal dignity and individual and communal health, economic health, family health, and spiritual health. And, and this is what I want to say to people. You are significant. You have a role to play as a person and as a disciple. As a pastor, this is what I want to say to them because I care for the whole person. And I think that this is how Pastor Jesus saw this woman. In our world, we believe that doing things right should get you off the hook. I mean, you, you're born, right? And then you start to grow up and you work and you save, you invest, you plan, and then you retire, which means that you sit and do nothing till the end of your days. That's the narrative that we've all learned. And at first, it looks like this woman is being punished, but in fact, I think the opposite is true. Because in God's kingdom, oh, you work, but you work for treasures money can't buy. And you save, but you save meaningful moments in your soul. And you invest, but you invest in relationships. And you plan and you pray, but you plan and you pray for the needs of others. And while you may retire from a specific job, you don't retire from life. No, in the way of the kingdom, you get to live, live, live. And then when you die, life is yours that is eternal. At least that's what Jesus promises. So this woman, Simon's mother-in-law, She's a picture of the kingdom of God, and she shows us that in God's kingdom, with God's blessing, good work is dignifying, and people who love their work, who feel a sense of dignity, who work within their gifts and do it among a community that they love and trust, well, that person has meaning. As a pastor, I have found that I love helping people know their significance, Because I think when they know their significance, it helps all of us flourish. Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John. But when we read the text, what did those guys do? Nothing. He calls them and they don't do anything. But it was an elderly woman who became the first disciple when Jesus healed and set her free for a purpose. To show every other person from that point forward, from this point here on out, what a true disciple is. She becomes the first disciple. And she models that disciples are people that, as they give themselves to the way of Jesus, find that they are set free from things, but that they are also set free for things. So I have a question at the end of Sermon 1. Have you ever thought, I've wondered if God is calling me to do something? Have you ever thought that maybe God is calling you? Or maybe you've, you've, asked, you've had the thought, I, I have an idea that I think God is setting me free for something, but I've never really had the courage to do it. What would that thing be? 
And how could it be that the very best way to become a faithful disciple is to prayerfully give yourself to it? Take a minute, think about it, and we'll be back for sermon number two. Sermon number two is what I call the sick are healed in the evening. And this sermon comes from the exact same text, Mark chapter one, the exact same reading that we did earlier. After he was done exercising an evil spirit in the synagogue, Jesus and his disciples, they head to Simon's house. And this happened on the Sabbath day. One of the many gifts that the Jewish people of old have given to the world is the practice of Sabbath. From the moment we are born, we are urged to move forward. Every achievement is a sign demonstrating our potential, and our potential determines our ability to produce. Grades, home runs, scholarships, good scores, a well-played piece on the violin, acceptance into grad school, passing an exam, getting the job, making the deal, securing the sale, opening up the 401k, starting the college fund. The phrases that we use every day are these, second place is just the first loser. Practice makes perfect, do or do not, there is no try. We have, uh, we have to take charge of our own destiny. This is what we feel every day. How else will we enjoy the fruit of our labor? How else will we make our mark in history? In what other way can we establish some semblance of security or safety? How else will we get done all the things that we need to be done? How can our family members or our children get ahead? We ask this. For crying out loud, we think, people depend on us. Busy is our salvation. Busy helps us produce And the right kind of production leads to our security. It secures our family, secures our homes, secures our churches, secures our future. Barbara Brown Taylor says, We live in a can-do culture where the ability to do many things is at high speed and is not only an adaptive trait, but also is the mark of being a successful human being. Successful people are busy. Effective people are busy people. Religious people are are busy people. Busy is the way of life, and this way of life is killing us. But the practice of Sabbath, intentionally turning down the, bu- the busy one evening and, and not turning it back up for 24 hours, is a practice that should restore us. It's a practice that should heal us. It is a practice that should save us. Sabbath is a command by God to embrace our own healing. It was an early command, take time, A whole day to suspend what you're doing for God's purposes. Don't produce anymore. 
Don't create anymore. Stop trying to control everything. The Sabbath is, is a time to stop, to cease, to rest. But it's so much more. It's a, it's a day to be healed, a day to be made complete. And we long for healing, especially in this season. We want to be made whole. And Mark says that Jesus began his healing ministry on the Sabbath. But, but that the healing actually didn't stop on the Sabbath. It actually continued through the evening. Now, that's not a coincidence. That's Mark's way of see, saying that healing is no longer limited to the confines of our imaginations anymore. Sabbath, this day of restoration, becomes the evidence of, of God's very best for us and the very best of what God has for us. Our ultimate healing is, is demonstrated on the cross. In the text, Mark says that Jesus went and he took Simon's sick mother-in-law by the hand and he raised her up. And when others heard about this, the whole town got involved. They brought their sick to him and he healed them. But the next morning, he got up while it was still dark to be in a place of solitude. This whole story is a foreshadowing of, of what is to come because at the end of Mark, Jesus would be brought down. He would be punched, kicked, harangued, and harassed. Demons and evil spirits were all over the place. The forces of evil piled on him, and the world was sick, and he was willing to share in the sickness. And at the end of Mark, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. And then it was the Sabbath, the day that was supposed to heal, but instead the world was in grief and despair. Evil had won. Sickness had run amok. But then, early on the third day, the day after the Sabbath, in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up. He was raised up. Now, early Christians understood the implications of this that they read in Mark chapter 1. They had dealt with persecution. They dealt with demons and sicknesses of a variety of sorts. And they held on to the hope that sickness and death did not have the last word because he had been raised up and the healing spirit of the Sabbath had burst past the limits of concepts of time and calendar into our lives in a fresh and new way. Paul said it this way, what we believe is this, if we get included in a and into Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included into his life-saving resurrection. And we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as, as the end. Never again will death, death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. When Jesus took Simon's mother-in-law by the hand, he raised her up. When he did that, he was saying, just get ready, because you have not seen anything yet. Because when I'm down and out, I too will be raised up, and never, ever, ever, ever again will death have the last word. So I want to ask you a question. Does it give you hope that as Simon's mother-in-law was raised up, and the sick of the town were raised up, and most importantly, Jesus was raised up, that perhaps you too will be raised up. Take a moment, think about it, and we'll be back for sermon number three.
Well, sermon number three is what I call Lonely Jesus. And the thing about being a faithful disciple in 2021 is that we are waiting to be raised up. Sometimes that is discouraging and downright depressing. And we actively wait. And, and so many of you are. You're waiting. You are waiting to be raised up. You have taken the vocation of service upon yourselves, just as Simon's mother-in-law did, and you are doing the work of healing, just like Jesus did. You run businesses to help our economy and provide jobs for people. You people of the 8th Street Church, you work in the front lines and doctor's offices and classrooms and courtrooms and therapists' offices and in grocery stores and in restaurants providing food. You face sickness and you risk your lives every single day. Jesus did that too. You face a revolving door of people coming to you with their demons looking for you to do something about it. And while it is good to do the work of healing, and you may be called to do the work of healing, and you may be doing that work of healing faithfully, and that, that healing, you know that healing comes when the Sabbath breaks out into places where it has not normally been, I want to let you know that I understand, and I think Jesus understands, that the work of healing is hard. Like Simon and his friends, people come to you all the time, looking for you, even when you need to be left alone just for a few minutes. When I read that Jesus got up early in the morning before the sun came up, I, I can see the theological significance that I talked about in sermon chapter 2. I can see what Mark is trying to do as a master of literature. But I can also see what's happening here practically. Because when I'm burdened, I don't have a problem falling asleep. Instead, I carry my stress and my dreams, and then I have a problem staying asleep. I'm a regular when it comes to rising before the sun. I usually feel the weight of the world in a particular way in those early hours of the day. This week, I was talking with Pastor Hope about this, and as she and I were talking about this text, I thought she had great perspective on it, so I asked her if I could share that perspective with you. She said I could, and this is what she said. She said, when she reads the text, she said, so I hear Jesus' words in verses 38 and 39 as kind of a preparation for himself and his disciples, and he seems lonely to me. It's like he's saying, take a deep breath. There's more coming. This is just the beginning. The healing is going to go deeper and wider than you'd expect, but it's not easy. There's no guarantee what the people will do with what I'm offering, but this is why I came to give my life away, to pour it out for these people. Now, I'm sure many of you have felt this way in recent months. Your constant work of service and your work of healing has left you exhausted. So, could I just give you a word of encouragement? If this is you, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do for us. You are living the way of Jesus and you are not alone. You are actually in the company of other people from the 8th Street Church who are doing the exact same things. And in your, in your exhaustion, you are keeping company with Jesus himself. Pastor Hope was right. After all he did, Jesus probably felt lonely. And you can, you can be lonely with a lot of people around. Being lonely means feeling like you're the only one doing what you're doing. And she said it so well to me. She said, I imagine Jesus felt lonely because he's preparing to give his life away and healing people who may or may not respond. 
They may take his words and they may take his healing and, and when they, they do what they want to do with it and, and as soon as it threatens to go deeper, they might just go and run for the hills. But he offers it anyway without condition. Please know that as we enter into a full year of a global ban- pandemic, that while you might feel lonely, you are not alone. You have been adopted into a good family. You are God's children. You are my brothers and sisters. You are a people that have been adopted, a people of peace, reconciliation, and love. And if you feel tired, worn out, or lonely, you, my friend, are keeping very, very good company. So I want to say to you, may God be close to you. So close to you. I want, may God be as close to you as he was with Jesus there in the morning hours. May God lift your spirits as you hear his voice. May God be gracious to you as you work, even though you are weary. And may the God who goes to the synagogue to heal men from demons and into homes to heal women from fevers, may that same God bring healing to you. This is what I hope for and I pray for you as you do this good work of healing like Jesus did and does. Amen and amen.